All right, you guys ready? <laughs> Good morning. All right, uh, so on your way out, look for this. Don't leave home without one. So uh, the picnic is gonna be fun, but we also know that we are not just here to uh, hang out with each other. We're also here to make sure that God is using us to show his kindness and his compassion to others, and that's what this is about. So um, we're gonna have a picnic, but we're gonna use that picnic as a time to uh, gather some food uh, together for the food pantry here in North Kingstown. Uh, so we've connected with them. So make sure to uh, grab it on the way out. And it has just kind of all kinds of ideas for you to bring aside from your food that you're gonna share and chair and game and all that kind of stuff, which will be fantastic. So I hope you guys have that, that date marked on your calendar. Um, we are, again, we're taking a journey. I, I love the, uh, the clip that we have at the front of this of just that picture. We were we regularly, when we do a series, we look for that, that picture that kind of captures some of what we're um, trying to get into. And we're getting into this story about uh, a journey I think that all of us uh, hopefully have experienced or we're in, we're in the midst of, some, we're somewhere on that journey. All of us are. Uh, we're either on our way out the door, running away from home. Uh, we're in the middle of finding out that running away from home wasn't such a good idea. We're on our way back. We've made our way back. We find, uh, and we've experienced God's welcome when we got there. But uh, we're digging into that, and we're really looking at what does it mean to be part of that home that God calls people back to. And um, so we're going to continue in that today. All right? You guys ready? Yeah, yeah, all right. Okay, well, I'm ready. Okay, um, you know, if you've ever had the opportunity to communicate with anybody, you know that it's hard sometimes to get your thoughts into the right words because you have these pictures or you have these things that you want to say, but to get them into the right words sometimes. And, and when people look at you like you have three heads and you go, ah, they didn't come off so well. It happens to me regularly, like right now. Some of you guys are, well. So, um, but then you throw onto that if you've ever taken a foreign language, you know that there are some words, um, and this is like our thoughts sometimes, but there are some words that you just cannot translate effectively. Like from one language, um, I took German when I was in high school and college, and just some languages, you just some words you can't get into English well. Because languages are not just an attempt to say the exact same thing in a different way. Right? Languages are really, they come out of a culture where often there's a whole different viewpoint, a whole different perspective on what the world even is. And so it's not always that we can't come up with enough words to come up with to describe the concept. Sometimes we don't even have in our whole framework of how we look at the world, we don't even have the concept. We don't even know what they're talking about. Um, in Hebrew, which is the language that the Old Testament was written in, there is this one word. That's it's, it's such an important word. It is one of the, the words that is used the most to describe the nature of God. And yet in English, it is, it is all but untranslatable. And it's the word chesed. Can you guys say that? It starts with a chet. So I, I love those chet words, but it's a chesed. Uh, it, is, it means something like kindness. So we'll translate it kindness or loving kindness, which is a word that was made up in the 1500s so that they could try and translate this word. Loving kindness, faithful love, covenant love, mercy, something. But it's all of those words, they, they don't fully capture what this word means. And yet it's, it's sitting there in, in scripture and it's de describing 
who God is. So if we're going to understand who God is, we need to understand his chesed, his, his loving kindness. Well, it ends up that this um, kindness is also in a, it's this like, key theme that goes through the story that we've been looking at of the prodigal son. Never uses the word, but we're gonna find out today that it is like the central piece of this story of, of the prodigal son and him coming home. So let's stand again. We're gonna jump into the story. Uh, it's found in Luke 15. I've encouraged you guys to be reading this to get, get familiar with this story in Luke 15. But Luke 15, this is verse 17 through 20. The son has run off. He has uh, used up all his money. He finds himself in a famine. He finds himself in this place where he has nothing and um, he's starving to death. And it says in Luke 15, 17 through 20, when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired men have more than enough bread? But I am dying here with hunger. I will get up and go to my father. I will say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son Just make me as one of your hired men. So he got up and he came to his father. We've been seeing that one of the most important questions that we can ask as we read through this story is what brought him home, right? What was it that ended up bringing the son back? Because we've seen that Jesus told a story about a sheep. You go search for a sheep, you bring him back. You search for a coin, he told a story about a lost coin, you bring it back. And then he tells this story about the son as if The father is on this search and he's bringing him back, but we see it's a very different search, right? What was it that brought the son back? Well, the reason we wanna know that is because this story tells us what is it that brings us back to God, right? What is it that brings us back to him? What, What opens up that pathway that allows us to come back to God and allows other people to come back to him as well? Well, in Romans 2, 4, it says that it's God's kindness, The kindness of God is what leads us to turn around and come back. But a lot of times we don't fully understand what that kindness is. What is that kindness that so draws us home? Today's message is titled Homesick. Father, uh, today we need to hear from you. We need to hear about your heart. And that is such a mysterious thing is so beyond our comprehension. We could, we could postulate, we could imagine, we could dream and never, never really be able to comprehend. It's beyond us, which is why you have spoken to us. You've spoken to us through your word, why you've spoken to us through the living word of your son as he lived out that heart in front of us. You speak to us through your spirit as he goes sometimes directly into our minds that are such a cluttered mess sometimes, but he, he comes in to speak clearly because sometimes words don't just, they just can't, they, they don't work. They can't handle the task of revealing your heart. But Father, we need your heart. We need to know your heart. That's why we're here. So we ask that your spirit would be here in this place, that he'd fill this place and that he would be our teacher today that he would take your word and he would just unfold it. He would open it in ways that we didn't even know it could be opened up. And that he would speak directly from your heart to our heart that we might understand, that we might understand Jesus, that we might understand what Jesus showed us, that we might understand the kindness of God. 
So we pray all these things for your glory, Father. We pray that you would do this by your power. It's not by ours. And that you would do this in this place, in this time, wherever we are. Father, listening, hearing, speak your word. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Have a seat. So I don't know about you guys, but I think all of us get pretty annoyed when we realize that someone is using words to intentionally confuse us, right? I mean, how much of your life, how many times have you found that you're spending all kinds of energy and all kinds of focus and effort just to make sure, um, kind of to make sure that you're not being taken advantage of because of the way that somebody says something or what they say, right? Do you know what I'm talking about? I mean, we, we, we hate it when, when we're in a situation where we're interacting with a person and, and, and we feel like we have to read all the small print. You know what I mean? Where they send you pages and pages and most of it's small print. And you go, gosh, I just, I gotta read this because I don't, I don't trust what they're saying. We hate it when we're in a, a situation where we feel like in a conversation we have to pay such close attention to every word that's said so that we don't end up agreeing with something that we don't agree with, right? And I think what we hate the most, though, is that when we've had so many of those experiences and so many of those encounters that we really have gotten to the point that we just, we just don't trust anybody. Because we know how that isolates, we know how that we're not made to be isolated. Communication is meant to bring us together, not to put us in these corners. But when we get to that place, you know, that is often where we are when we come to God's word, isn't it? We come to God's word and we say, you know, I hope, I hope that this word, this message is not being used by someone to confuse me, to take advantage of me, to, to manipulate me, to get me to do something that I really don't want to do. And so that's why we have a hard time hearing the words sometimes that are in this book. And that's why we have a hard time too. Like when I, I mentioned at the beginning, I said, you know, sometimes we get into God's word and we find out that there are words that are just hard to understand. In fact, in English, we don't do a good job of translating and immediately all the red flags go up, right? And all the alarms go off and they say, I think he might be trying to confuse me. Because if we have to go talking about some other, I have a hard enough time with English, Right? But if you gotta take me to this thing, and that, that just, I, I don't know that I wanna go there. But I want us to, I want us to this morning, maybe uh, put aside that conspiracy route kind of thing that goes on in our head. And I wanna just maybe together acknowledge that there are sometimes, we need to realize that this book was written in a language that, and, and from a cultural perspective, that sometimes just uh, our words don't fully Comprehend. It was written by some people with a very different perspective. And by faith, we believe that God is the one who gave them that perspective. And I want you to hear this. So that somebody on this messed up planet would have a clarity about the things that God knew we needed to know, right? And so it's worthwhile digging into this word, even though it may take some time, even though it may seem confusing, it's worthwhile digging into this because we believe that God gave somebody a perspective so that he might give us all clarity about what he needs us to know. Amen? So we're gonna dive into this because we need to know, we need to know what God is saying when it comes to kindness. Now, kindness in our, our um, 
culture is, is kind of a, a buzzword now. Everybody's using it. There's kindness everywhere. They're throwing it out. In, in the 1980s, I don't know, some of you guys might have noticed this as it was coming through, but all of a sudden kindness started kind of taking a, this front, front and center kind of place on the stage of human affairs. Some celebrities picked it up, started promoting it. There were movies that came out, started talking about these things. And all of a sudden, everybody's talking about random acts of kindness. And they're talking about, you know, paying it forward. Well, I know growing up, that was never, that wasn't all front and center like it is now. Now it seems like it's just been around forever. But kindness was one of these things that just kind of jumped into the middle of kind of pop culture. But also we find that kindness has been, has, the idea of kindness has been really cluttered. It became very confused right now. And so today, some of the leading gurus, for example, they say that the best way to discover how to be kind to others is be kind to yourself. And I want you to understand what that's saying. What they mean is what they're saying very clearly is the more self-centered we become then, the more kind we'll be. And I, that just, that has never worked. It never will work. Um, we don't become more kind by being more kind to ourselves. Now, I know some of the things that they're trying to get at, but that's not how you get there. Another is, is that you find, I was reading, I was finding out all these ways. They said, how, you know, random acts of kindness. I want to mention some of the things that they had, that I found. Um, recycling is a random act of kindness. Did you know that? Supporting small businesses is a random act of kindness. A, um, to share some fuzzy kind of inducing, fuzzy feeling inducing images on your social media is a random act of kindness. Um, just treating other people like a human being should is a random act of kindness, according to modern wisdom. And, and I'm looking at this and I'm going, you know, I think <laughs> we're starting to realize in all of this clutter that's taking on that really this idea of kindness, this important idea of kindness, this kindness, this pathway that's supposed to be able to lead us back to God, right? And lead us back to the life that he intended. This kindness, it seems to have been regularly co-opted in our culture for all manner of kind of, of causes in order to manipulate us to just support that cause, right? Everybody's claiming that kindness is the reason that they're doing everything. And they want us to get on board. But we're starting again. The, the red lights go off, the red flags go up. And we go, I don't think... I don't think I can trust what they're saying. So again, we find ourselves questioning whether kindness has actually the power to change the brokenness we find in us, the brokenness we find in our relationships, the brokenness we find between us and God, the brokenness that we find in this world. But I want us to think, you know, is it really, is that the kindness that God's talking about? When we get to important ideas in the Bible, important concepts, things that are really central to what God wants us to know. There is one passage that he typically, they all find their root in. And it's in a passage back in Exodus. It's in Exodus 34, 33 and 34. And in this passage, Moses has come to God. So Moses is this prophet that God has called out and he says, I'm gonna show you who I am. I'm gonna rescue. I'm gonna make my people. I'm going to establish you as the people. I'm gonna give this perspective so that the world can have some clarity in this place. You're the people that my son's gonna come through. He's establishing all that and he's talking to Moses and Moses says, Lord, he gets to the point that he just, he realizes how important it is to know God. And he says, God, show me your glory. And he's saying, show me all your glory. And God basically says to him, I can't. If I showed it to you, it would wipe you out. It would kill you. 
So I can't. And so he says, I'm gonna take you and I'm gonna set you in this cleft of a rock and I'm gonna put my hand over you, whatever that means, right? God's hand. And, and I'm gonna pass by you, whatever that means. And I'm gonna just show you the least part, the kind of trailing part of my glory, whatever that means, right? So I'm gonna show you a bit of my glory, but what I am gonna do as I pass by you is I'm gonna tell you, I'm gonna speak my name. I'm gonna clearly tell you who I am. Because you may not be able to see me, but I'm going to speak to you. I'm going to, do, to use these words. And so these are the words that God chooses to tell Moses when he's saying, I'm going to reveal to you all that I can about my glory, not just in showing you as much as I can, but in telling you all that I can. This is what he chooses to say. Now, it always amazes me because I always look at this and I say, God could have said, you know, I'm great, I'm powerful, I've created the universe, I raise up kings, I tear them down. He could have said all that, but this is what he chooses to say in Exodus 34, 6. God says, Yahweh, and Yahweh's his name. So the first thing he says is, I want you to know my name. I want you to know me personally, Yahweh. Yahweh, the God who is five things, compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness and faithfulness. Five things. And of those five, one of them is this untranslatable word chesed, abounding in kindness, in this loving kindness. Now, the, the kindness that he's talking about is not, it's not found in more me time, Right? It's not found in me being more kind to myself. It's not found in recycling. It's not gonna be found in you know, going out and becoming one with nature. It's not, gonna be, it's not found in those things. All of our best ideas for what kindness might look, look like. It says, no, kindness is connected to knowing God because he is. He says, if you wanna know me, this is one of the things that you're gonna find out. Where kindness comes from, it comes from me. And it's what holds the universe together. It's what the universe was framed by was this God who is this kindness. And it's tied to these other four. So kindness is tied. Uh, you, can't, you can't remove it. it. You can't take it away from compassion. Compassion, which is this, this gut level um, love that's driven to just compels us towards others and towards their best. It's... it's, it's is connected, is, you, you can't disconnect it from grace, this graciousness, which is this unrequired, this unrequired action towards other, unrequired, undeserved, unexpected overflow of just this, this goodness and a gift towards someone else where you leverage all that you have for their best. That's grace. Patience. Patience, I love the way it's, the word that describes it in the New Testament. It's like you have this raging volcano of, of righteous anger, right? That you could just explode all over somebody and just level them like Pompeii. Right? Just, just destroy them. And you'd be righteous in doing it. But instead, you take all that power, and it's like the picture is you stretch it out over time. And then you use it intentionally, intentionally in, in very specific directed ways for their good, for their best, for to to build them up instead of to just destroy them. Patience and faithfulness. Faithfulness, that, that relentless persistence of God in these things. And so it says kindness. God's kindness is all of those things together. 
just tied together. You can't take one from the other. But kindness is kind of that, that active worry, that, that the actions, the way that it plays out, it's the way that it, it comes out into the person's life. And did you notice the theme that comes through all of those? It's that you don't do this because it somehow gets you anything. It's on, on behalf of the others because of this, this desire for their good, no matter what it costs you. That's kindness. And in Exodus 34, God says, you know what? That's what I want you to know about me. And he says, I want you to know that my kindness doesn't just kind of reach a level. It, it, it overflows. It's abundant. It just, it keeps coming. You can't stop it. You can't count it. You can't, you can't contain it. It's overflowing. Now in the story of the prodigal son, um, we find this other, kind of this other aspect of kindness because Jesus, it says that Jesus came and he, he lived out this Exodus 34 in front of us, this description of God. In fact, in John, it says we recognize that Jesus was God living among us because he was the, he was the, the flesh and blood version of Exodus 34, what God said that he was. So, so we knew who he was. But in the story that Jesus is telling, we find this other side this other aspect of kindness that that comes out often in our lives and often in uh, the pages of scripture because kindness does not mean that God's going to do everything that we think that he needs to do for us to make us happy right and and we uh, um we have trouble with that sometimes right we think that we've come up with some pretty good ideas of what God should do for us if he was really kind God this is what he should do um, but God is committed not to do what will make us happy. God is committed to do for us what, for our best, whatever is for our best, and to get us to the best place we could be, not just the best place we can come up with. So at the beginning of the story, the prodigal, we, from our cultural perspective, we look at you know, all the things that happen in the story, and we say, you know, one of the kindest actions that seems to happen in this is when the son comes and he demands of the father, he says, Father, all this, you know, this, uh, amount of the inheritance that should fall to me, and I want it right now. And the father gives it to him, right? Because the son, in that perspective, he believes that's what's gonna make him happy. It's that money, it's that freedom, it's the ability to get away from his father. He thinks that's what's gonna make my life worth living. And the father gives it to him. And sometimes when we come to God, right, and we have our demands and we say, God, I've come up with the one thing that I need to make me happy, and I want you to give it to me. And sometimes he does, Right? And, and that really messes us up sometimes because sometimes he doesn't. And then we go, well, why don't you just give me everything I asked for that I believe would make me happy? But in the, in the story of the prodigal son, what we see is that sometimes when God gives us what we ask for, it's not because we're incredibly close and God just knows that we're asking for the right thing. Sometimes when we, when we ask for what we think will make us happy and God gives it to us, it's actually the beginning of our running away from God. It's the beginning of our journey away from him. It's not because we've gotten so close to him. It's actually because our heart's so far from him. He says, okay, go ahead, give it a try. You know, with all, I'll give you everything that you're asking for. Give it a try. And so his kindness in that is he knows that those things, he knows that when those things actually, those things that we thought would be the foundation of our lives, when they actually, when they um, disappear, when they begin to disappoint us, that's when we'll actually discover, we'll actually get some clarity about where the kindness of God is actually found. Because it's not about, 
giving us whatever we think would make us most happy. And that's important to remember because we need to know when the son finally does come home, he has none of the stuff he left with, which is all of the stuff he thought was gonna make him happy, was gonna make his life worthwhile. But he comes back because he knows where life really is gonna be found. It's in that house, even if he has none of that stuff. Right? So he has none of the material stuff. He has none of the freedom. He again puts himself under his father. He says, Father, I don't, I don't care because this, this is where I know the happiness is found. When the son left, he thought that the freedom would make him happy. He thought that the, the stuff would make him happy. The money would make him happy. That he could buy friends with that money. But in fact, when he came to his senses and he remembered his father's house, he remembered the same house he had left. His father's house that he thought was so full of rules and so full of regulations and so full of just this descriptions and definitions that he thought were just so out of, he just couldn't, it was so constraining and constricting to him. He thought, if I could get away from that, but when he comes home, he puts himself right into it. It's still there. God hadn't changed. So what is Jesus saying? Jesus is saying here, he's saying, you know what? Happiness is not... Happiness is not found in being freed from all the regulations and the restrictions and the rules and the definitions of God. Do we get that? Right? Sometimes we just want God sometimes. <laughs> we want him to, to make room for our critiques of his, the way that he manages his house. Right? We want him to take his word and if he would just edit it so it would make us feel more comfortable, we'd be okay with that. Right? And he doesn't do it. He just waits till our version of life caves in and he says, okay, I'm not, I'm not changing. This is what makes my house strong. He doesn't boast about his wisdom, but he stands on it, doesn't he? He doesn't come to us and say, you know what you need to know? You need to know that I'm smarter than you. He doesn't do that. He says, you just need to know that I'm kind, but I am wise. And I'm not gonna back down on that, but the door will always be open. Happiness is not found in being set free from all the rules and definitions. Happiness is not found in getting everything that we think will make our life happy in the moment and, and worthwhile. Sometimes we want him to change everything, but instead he just sends us out, loaded us up with all of the resources that we think that we need to make for our best life, and he says, go ahead and try it. But his greatest kindness, his greatest kindness is when all of that, we waste all that, and we're empty-handed and we're starving, his greatest kindness is found that when we come home, there's still a house there and that his arms are still open to welcome us back to his home, to his kindness, to his goodness, to his wisdom. And that works because God doesn't change. So hear this. Life and rescue only come when we lay down all our best ideas and we just simply come home. When we come home empty-handed, without anything that we're demanding of God that he changed for us, when we come without anything standing in the way of thinking, well, I think if I could do this a bit better than him, we just lay that all down and we just come home. 
That's where salvation's found. That's where grace is actually found. That's where God's goodness is actually found. So what was the kindness that brought the son home? Well, you look back to what he said in verse, in verse 17. And he, when he comes to his senses in this place of just devastation, it says, he says, how many of my father's hired hands have more than enough bread? You know, in a household in Jesus' day, you had these, these groups of people and they were like layers of descending um, importance, you know, in the eyes of the household. You had the family in the middle and that was the patriarch and the matriarch. You might have former patriarchs and matriarchs, you know, the grandparents might live with them. But then you had the children. And the, they were ranked too. So you had the, the heirs who were the sons and the oldest heir was the most important heir and the son. And you'd have them kind of ranked down. But you had the family and that's the top tier. And then you might have uh, joined to them. You might have this extended family. So you might have aunts and uncles and cousins because they figured, you know, this house is successful and so we're going to kind of ride this one. And so they might attach themselves because they're not servants. They're not slaves. They're just, they're, they're family. But they're not quite the family but you know, they still are benefiting, so they're a part of it. And then you have the servants, and, and they're ranked. They're ranked based on seniority or how long they've been with the family, or um, they might be ranked uh, according to their trustworthiness or their responsibilities. And then you had the others. And the others were just this kind of faceless group of people that you hired for the benefit of the house. They're your plumbers and your, your caretakers and your, your animal trainers and your you know, crop uh, gatherers and all that. Okay, so, but they're just kind of the others. And these are the hired hands that he's talking about. Now, in a typical household, this last group, they had absolutely no connection to the heart of the head of that household. He didn't care. Plumber goes down, get another plumber. What do I care? But did you hear what the, the son says? He says, Look at the way that in my father's house, even those who are not even connected to the house are taken care of by my father in a way that's not expected, it's not required, it's not deserved, it's just given, it's kindness. And not, not given in a way that makes, fulfills their every dream and wish, no, he didn't say he, he didn't say that he just paid he didn't say that he just pays them more than they deserve. He didn't say that he sends them on every vacation that they hope for. He said, but you know what? When it comes down to it, they never lack bread. They're never gonna find themselves in the situation I'm in, which is I don't even have anybody that cares about me or even bothers to think about my basic needs of just even feeding me. Even those who are not connected to my father's house are shown this kind of kindness. That's chesed. And Jesus is saying this because he says, that's my father's house. And what I love about the story that Jesus tells is, you know what he says? He says, and that's what leads us home. Is we remember God's chesed. We remember his kindness. It's not his wisdom that brings us home. It's not his threats against the sins that we, against how we break his rule. It's not how, how dire the consequences are to our breaking. He, he's not leading with that. It's his kindness that brings us home. It's that we remember that even those who don't have anything to do with God, God still, I mean, Jesus goes into great detail. He says, you know, you don't even know, but there, there are birds out there that you don't even know exist and God's feeding them. There are flowers and fields that are out there on mountainsides that nobody's even gonna see, but they're gonna bloom and they're gonna grow and he's gonna clothe them so that they're more splendid than Solomon could have ever dreamed of. Why? Because 
He's a God of chesed, of overflowing, abundant chesed. God, when he wants to bring us home, he doesn't lead with his logic, with his greatness, with his power. Instead, Moses asked him, he says, God, I want to see who you are. And he says, I can't show you at all, but I want to tell you as much as I can. He says, I want you to know that I am the God that has this gut level, love-driven, compelling towards you for your good that is relentless and insistent and that has nothing to do with what you deserve or what is expected. It is just about kindness. And it's a kindness that's not to supply everything that you say that you want. It's a kindness that does above and beyond what you thought he would do, that supplies our needs according to his riches and glory, that, and then goes, it just floods over the top. It's things we didn't even know that we wanted or needed, and he pours those in as well. So what does that mean for us? What does that mean for us in this? Some of you guys might be in a place where you're you're far from God. You're just not, you're not with him. You've run off for whatever reason. Uh, you felt betrayed. You felt hurt. You felt, um, you just felt maybe, no, I, I, don't, I don't need this kind of constriction. Could have been anything. You need to know that God doesn't wait with a stick because sometimes we, even when things go bad, we, we hold out. We're like, man, I, I just, I've done too much. God's not gonna let me back. Or he's going to make me pay. He should. But you need to know that the kindness of God waits for you. The kindness of God waits for you. Because God is always calling you back with his kindness so that you might experience the life and that kindness in your life that was meant to be this unshakable foundation that became the basis of, of your life. In Titus 3, 3 through 7, it says, we were also once foolish ourselves, disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending our life spending, I mean, there's that money word like the sun, spending our life in malice and envy, hateful, hating one another. But then when the kindness of God, the kindness of God, our savior, and his love for my, mankind appeared, that word, that phrase right there where it's used, how did the kindness of God appear? He's talking about Jesus. And he calls him the kindness of God. And his love for mankind appeared. He saved us. Not on the basis of deeds that we had done in righteousness. Not because we had done everything right, but according to his mercy. By the washing and regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit, who he poured out upon us richly, abundantly, overflowing through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified, listen to this, by his grace, unmerited, undeserved, we would be made heirs. So he didn't just like bring us in as a hired hand, right? That we would be made heirs. We're like, we're brought into the top tiers of the central part of that family according to the hope of eternal life. I mean, that's basically the story of the prodigal in five verses. But he says, this is all about you. So it may be that you're far away from God. It may be. It may be that something is, is keeping you from coming back. And it may be that, it's, that you're worried. 
is you don't understand. God just doesn't show kindness once in a while because it's a trait that lays on top of him. And he kind of, it's like a robe that he wears every once in a while, but sometimes he takes it off and he puts on his wrath robe or something. God says, this is who I am. This is who I am. And so this is what opens the door to allow you to turn and this is the path that allows you to find your way home. And so know that if you don't know Jesus yet or if you've turned and run from him, that in Jesus Christ, in a relationship with him, we find the kindness of God and it leads us home. The second is this, if you are a part of the God's household, you've already made your way home and you've found the kindness of God, we need to remember that we are on this planet, we are in this world to reflect the nature of our Father. That, that same nature, that kindness that found us and saved us is the same nature that's gonna find and save others. We don't need to be God's spokesmen, spokesmen and women for his, for his wrath. We don't need to be the spokesmen and women for his his magnificence and his greatness, he says, I want you to be the spokesmen and women of my kindness. And it's not a kindness, and it's not a pop kindness, right, that, that gives everybody what they hope that they want, that they you know, think will make them happy. It is the kindness of God that gives them, leverages everything so that they might have what they need, not just for this life, but for the life to come as well. In Ephesians 4, 32 and 5, 1, we often stop at the end of a chapter, but this one like bleeds over in the next chapter. And it says, he says to his people, he says, so be kind, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ has forgiven you and thereby be imitators of God as his beloved children. What reflects the nature of God better? Be kind kind and patient and forgiving and gracious and leveraging everything on behalf of others. So it's important that we, that we do, that we, stay, that we um, join God in, in kind of maintaining the structures and the definitions and descriptions that are in his house, that he defines in his word, how is life best lived. It's found right here, no question. It's important, but more important than that is that we show the nature behind all of that which is his kindness. This gut level compelling on behalf of others, this graciousness that leverages everything on their behalf, this patience that takes what could be a rage and it stretches it instead into this intentional project for their benefit and this persistence that goes on forever and ever and it shows itself through this overflow of kindness. Kindness, making sure that they have what they need. They have what will be God intended as a blessing for their life. Because the truth is when it comes to, <laughs> when we come to our senses, it's always, it's the kindness of God that leads us home. Amen?